Last night, I, I, I got in and um, uh, realized a little later on I needed to run an errand to go to Walgreens. So it was, it was getting close to 10 o'clock. And I was reminded of college life because I got in there. There weren't a lot of people. But at one point, uh, a few, I think, college girls came in. I can't tell. Anybody under 30 now looks like a college girl to me because I'm old. But um, I'm pretty sure they were college girls. And I overheard this. I, I heard a girl say uh, something along the lines. She goes, oh, my gosh. And, and the other one went, what? And she said, I've been looking for these. What is it? Oreos stuffed with cookie dough. Um, and she paused, and this is what I heard like over and out. Again, not, not you know, pretty empty. And so I hear, and she goes, this is going to happen. So they, she gets them. I end up getting in line behind these girls later on, and this, is, this is, was the, the grocery list. It was Oreos stuffed with cookie dough, um, Mountain Dew, Coke, Diet Coke, Reese's Cups, Pringles. What I had gone to get saline nasal spray and some almonds because I'm old this is what happens to you you don't go buy that stuff anymore you get you get stuff like that so anyway um when I was invited to do this one of the things that was been stirring in my mind is I kind of thought you know this is kind of one shot to talk to folks who are who are training to to be more effective in ministry and please hear me say I'm not saying training to be ministers because you are ministers if you're called of God. When you were saved, you, you went into the ministry. But what I hope is happening now is you're even preparing all the more. You're, you're refining, you're learning, you're growing in a very specific way. But you're all ministers, of course, uh, just because that's what Jesus would have us be as we walk with him and as we are uh, uh, working out our salvation. And um, so I, I was, that was stirring in me. And I, and I did a funeral, uh, I guess about a week and a half ago, for a guy named Joe Blaylock, who was 86 years old. And I had gotten to know him over the almost three years that I've been at First Baptist Tyler, and Joe always seemed lighthearted to me, always had like a twinkle in his eye, always a little bit of a joke. Um, and uh, in fact, one of the first encounters I had with Joe was shortly after we got there, we had moved into our house, and they had called because they wanted to bring something by, he and his wife. Well, Joe came to the door, and I answered the door. And he's got a chocolate pie that he had said, and apparently his wife makes incredible chocolate pies. And this is, this at the time, I guess the 84, 83-year-old man, uh, I opened the door and he says, do you like chocolate pie? He had kind of a, one of these kind of, and, he, and I said, yes, sir. And before I could even get out, he goes, if you don't, I'll take it back. <laughs> this is Joe Blaylock. Well, I knew him as, it seemed to be a kind and gracious man who had invested his life in the church, but I didn't know a lot of specific stories, and as is often the case, when someone dies, you begin to find out more about them. And I found out that in his mid-70s, he was out at our south campus, which at that time was new, mowing the lawn with a push mower around one of the houses where they had begun gathering. It was, it's a pretty massive property, but it wasn't at that time. They were just meeting in a house. Joe was out there. He was a downtown guy. That's where he worshipped. That's where he attended. But he was out at the South Campus mowing the lawn in his mid-70s, sometimes on days that were over 100 degrees. As I talked with his family, and as they laughed, and as they cried, and as they shared stories, what, what struck me was just what a simple life this man seemed to have led. Simply walking with Christ. He, he had a joy. He had the, it just, the, and, and his children and those whom they married and then grandchildren and, and now great-grandchildren, but all of those old, I mean, walking with the Lord, all because this man just seemed to have a simple love for Christ and it infected everything he did. And so I thought about that, you know, the, the simple life, really, of the Christian. I called it simple life of the minister. 
But I wanted to start by mentioning two things, really, that I believe are the enemies to this. And that's arrogance and discouragement. And interestingly, I think both of those, as you, if you stop and think about it, both of them are selfish, really. Um, but we, we automatically assume that with arrogance, I think sometimes you have to give it a little more thought when you think of being discouraged. But let me just give you a case in point. Um, I, uh, go, I take our boys to get, haircut, uh, get their haircuts at this place called Adventure Cuts. Um, uh, and uh, needless to say, I'm not getting my hair cut there. There's not a lot of need for that. I, I take care of that myself, thank you very much. And um, there was a young lady named Joanna that worked there, and as I entered the first time I took our boys, and most of the time since then, my wife has gone. I've gone a few times. She's taken them most of the time. But that first time, uh, met this young lady, and as she was talking, I just I told her who I was, that I was relatively new to Tyler. Turns out she was too, and uh, told her I was a pastor of a church, and I said, I don't know... Uh, you know, I don't know who you are, what your background is, but boy, if you ever want to go to a church, I'd sure love for you to come to ours. And she said, you know, I, I kind of have faith a little bit in my background, I, but I'm, I'm really searching for the truth right now. And she said, and I'm reading my Bible. And I said, well, that's great. I said, I, I said, you are in the right spot. And I said, I really believe you're going to find that the truth is Jesus Christ. And boy, if I could be of any help to you. So just a, a brief encounter. The next time I told my wife the story, she went, tried to continue to build the friendship, the relationship, whatever. This woman starts coming to our church. She has now joined our church. She's walking with the Lord. And there's all kinds of other elements to this story. But I was in there recently. So it's been about a year and a half now. And um, I was just telling her, I said, with all that's going on in your life, I'm so glad that like a year and a half ago we just kind of met. And she said, I'm so thankful I met Andrea and you. And she said, because... There's several ministers that come in here, and I thought, uh, where are we going? And she said, and I watch the way they treat their children, and even the way sometimes they talk to us, and I'm just really glad I met you all first. Ah. I, I think arrogance. I, I, she didn't thank God. I mean, she didn't name names. She didn't name a church or anything like that. That would have been awful, because then I would have, might have had to have gone to talk with those guys and say, what are you doing? Um, but that's the kind of thing that can happen. The, these guys are on staff and they're serving the Lord and they're whatever else. And then they're in, in a, on a, maybe a, what a, an off, um, an off moment when you can just be yourself and you're kind of a jerk apparently to your kids. Now granted, they could have been having their worst day ever and their kids really could be out of, out of control, but, um, it just hit me how important this is. So so arrogance, disobedience, excuse me, and the discouragement. Uh, but, and before we dive into this more and, and look at this passage that we'll walk through just quickly, uh, let, me, let me have a word of prayer, and uh, I really hope this will make a difference in our lives. Uh, Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to, uh, to examine ourselves today. I think every time we come into your presence and into your word, Father, we must do that, take a hard look at ourselves but the great thing is, Father, that we have the word of God open as we look at ourselves, even if there are things that trouble us greatly and really mess with us and whatever else, there is always encouragement in you. There is always a hope and a joy in you. There's always something that you will give us to remind us of your great love for us. And I pray you will do that today, Father. Open our hearts, convict them, reassure us encourage us. And we ask this in Christ's name. 
Amen. So, a couple of thoughts about, uh, about this. Because with the arrogance, I, you know, I looked at an exaggerated opinion of one's own importance, right? Now, how in the world would someone who's following Christ and feels a call to ministry let that, that happen? You would think, uh, it seems like there's so many opportunities to be humbled that, that it seems odd. But I, I, I think part of it is not just an arrogance like that, like you think you're better than other people. I don't know that that's often the case necessarily of a minister. I guess, it can, I mean, it's, we're sinful. It can creep into anyone's life. But I think in terms of this, how arrogant is it really when we're disobedient? I realize that I, when I sin against God, when I'm disobedient, my arrogance is saying, I know you have a plan for whatever, but right now I either don't really care or I kind of just think mine's better than yours. And so I'm going to go ahead and do what I want to do, and that's arrogant. That may be the epitome of arrogance in, in the face of a holy God to be saying, I know you've laid out things. You even say there'll be consequences to this, but so far there haven't been that many consequences, so I think probably I can go ahead and maybe get away with this. That's, that's arrogant. How many ministers do you hear about? And I'm talking, whether, whether it's pastors, whether it's children's pastors, whether it's missionaries, whether it's camp directors, whatever else, some that because of arrogance ultimately probably think they can get away with something and it catches up with them and oftentimes they lose their job or forfeit their ministry really because, well, because they got caught up in sin. But wouldn't you think it starts with an arrogance that said, well, I thought I maybe could just do this. So I think there's trouble there. On the flip side, discouragement. Some ministers, and again, I'm using that term extremely broad because I know there's every type of calling and all kinds of things in this room, but we're all called to be ministers. But many are discouraged and maybe quit. But think about that again. I mean, Jesus said, right, in this world you'll have trouble, but take heart, have courage, I've overcome. So when we get discouraged, which is, I will say, I feel like I walk closely to that line sometimes. That's, that's the one that will mess with me, it seems, more than anything. But when I think about it, that's still the selfish reaction. Things didn't go as I wanted them to, or this isn't what I thought it would be, and therefore I'm beginning to be discouraged or disheartened, and still somehow it's about me again. It's really not about the Lord. You, know, you think about Elijah, right, who saw God do mighty, mighty things, but then when it all was done, he felt alone, and he's running away, and he's going, geez, God, why don't you just take my life? This is just so awful. I'm the only one, and God's having to reassure him. You're not the only one. But isn't it awesome that God reassures him? You know, I feel like sometimes, even though I'm reading the Bible, that somehow God's going to change how he does stuff, and with me, he's going to go, I'm serious. You know what? That's seriously, that's the last straw. I'm not, I'm not putting up with you anymore, you know? But I read the scripture, <laughs> and I'm going, look at him, go with Elijah, and show him, and show him, and show him, to show him that, Elijah, it's not about you. You're discouraged because it's about you. Jonah was discouraged because it was about him. Both of them really are pretty pretty selfish. As a student minister, one of the times I felt most discouraged was right after a camp or a disciple now or something like that, because we had built up to it and built up to it and built up to it, and then we did it, and then it was over. And I don't know if it was just that, I don't know what it was. I think there were spiritual battles going on there too, but I would feel somewhat discouraged after the big thing. How often is that the case in scripture and God shows himself to be faithful? 
You already heard it read that in the, in the book of Micah, the, these folks had complicated their lives by trying to do a bunch of different things and yet not humble themselves before God. Do religious things, work on a church staff, go serve at a camp, go be a missionary, do things that you think God may be really pleased with and somehow give you bonus points for, right? See, there again is, there's that fine line of arrogance and discouragement. It's like you somehow, God might love you a little more because you're at Truett, right? Or you're at Baylor for heaven's sakes. And so we allow ourselves to think that a little bit. Somehow I'm, that, gets, that gets God's attention a little bit more. Well, these folks had gotten to the point where they were pretty messed up. I mean, they really were off. Their hearts were far from God, but they were still doing their religious activities. And then that, that passage comes in where it's like, well what, well, what should we do? And it's almost, again, in an arrogance that would say, hey, God, how do we buy you off? Like, okay, if we weren't doing everything right, what, what if we did this? What if we did that? What if we did this? And it's like Micah is saying, good night, you've invented all of these things thinking that somehow gets God's attention or he likes you more, or he loves you more. Here's, oh man, what he requires of you. He's shown you already what is good. This is not new. <laughs> to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Just a couple of thoughts about those things. This, this idea of acting justly, you know, doing the right thing. And you will be pressed in every way, shape, or form to not do that. <laughs> you, you, you may want to do something that gets you a little more credit, something that may be the outstanding thing, that might even look like the more compassionate thing, but it's not the right thing. It's not the just thing. And, you know, you got to walk with the Lord to know what is just, quite frankly. You'll, we'll, we'll mess that one up constantly. Um, I was thinking about the fact that right now one of the phenomenons is, and I just saw this the other day, that uh, there was a crime being committed against an elderly person at some restaurant or whatever, and the reason we know it is because a person videoed it. They didn't step in and help. They're like, good gracious, i got to get my camera, Right? And then let this go viral to show you how bad things are, whatever else, instead of stepping in and doing the right thing. What, what in the world is happening to us? Where's our conscience, for heaven's sakes? Um, I, I, uh, this is a much more lighthearted thought, but when, when I was growing up, my mom uh, was a teacher and uh, very grammatically correct at all times. And so no matter what we were saying, if I said something about, you know, well, me and Clay, like my brother, me and Clay were going to the store, Clay and I, you know, like, I get that, right? I mean, some of you may have grown up in these homes. And I started thinking about that, that I have learned better grammar. Now, watch, don't hold me to that, because watch, I'll butcher. I'll, I'll, I will dangle a preposition as sure shooting. But anyway, um, but I learned some things because my mom corrected me and showed me what was right. But you know, at times, and I've thought about this with my son. I have two boys, eight and a half and almost four. I want them to know the right thing and do the right thing, but there may be a time where I just need to hear their story and listen to them butcher the king's English, right? And let them share their heart instead of always correcting them. Now, that may sound like a silly illustration, but I'm telling you, you will be tempted to, to be in a situation where you just want to let people know that you know that you're right or that they're wrong. And if you stop and think about it, you may say, nothing good will really come of this. It's not going to be merciful, but I'm going to let everybody know, well, this was actually the deal. And you will find that sometimes that even if you are right, you don't have to show it in a way that it was without mercy. 
or compassion because this is the way the Lord treats you. What if he just constantly stepped in and backhanded you every time you messed up, right? So when it gets to this idea of loving mercy, it, you know, right, juxtaposed with justice, isn't it amazing that just, they may have even been thinking about, that's right, justice, we want to, wait a minute, oh, mercy, have to love mercy. Mercy's not fairness. Fairness is you punch me, I punch you back. You write about me on Facebook, I write about you on Facebook, you know, um, whatever it is. You, you mock my hair and I'll mock yours or, or whatever, you know, that's fairness is whatever happens here happens here. And if I give you one, I give him one and that kind of thing. And fairness sometimes can be good, but fairness can be awful. And God is not fair, he's merciful. If God were fair, we are in hell. That's where, I mean, that's fair. We've sinned against him. He's holy. That's where we end up, period. But he has given us Christ. He is merciful. And so as we follow him, we want to do what is right, act justly. And the only way to do that is to be with him. And to love mercy. And that's the only way to do it is to be with him. And then to walk humbly. I love this idea of walk. Because uh, if my wife and I go on a walk, it's typically not like to accomplish, like we're not trying to get somewhere. If we need to get somewhere, it's typically in a car or something a little faster, right? I mean, we're, but to walk is usually mean just to spend time together. If we go for a walk, I'm not going to stand like 10 paces ahead of her or fall back or whatever. The point is to be together, to walk humbly. So I love that. It's about living humbly, but I love the picture of, of walking with the Lord. And so when we think about that, it seems like, doesn't that just simplify ministry um i think that's incredible when jesus has fed the five thousand and people are very excited about his miracle working and they follow him and he has some very harsh words for them he says you know you're you're following me because i fed your stomachs you're you're wanting another thing to help you just for the moment but you know and so they he deals with that and they begin to ask questions and then someone i'm sure thinking like I'll ask the real theological question, and I'll, I'll, I'll sound like the, real, the, the, the A student, right? So then they asked him, we, what must we do to do the works God requires? As a minister, right, you ask that question. What, what must I do to do the works? And you're ready. Here goes, like, from any Pharisee, any other teacher here would have come a long list of all the stuff, right? Because you got to make sure you don't mess up here, you mess up here, whatever else. So here are all the, the, the categories of the law and then the subtitles and then the bullet points and then the things that make sure. And Jesus says, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent. Don't lose that. You can actually do some things. Maybe you're a very gifted preacher. Like some of you may get done with this and just be like, man, next time I ought to do it because pastor for the day, weak. Um, But you may be gifted in that, and that is great. You may be a gifted educator. You may be gifted with children. You may be a, a, a gifted camp director, or you just know you're called to the mission field, and you're gifted with linguistics and all of these things, and you're so excited about that. But I can tell you, you can still do things and even be patted on the back and given accolades and not walk humbly with your God and that fails eternally. You can, but you can have people actually say, way to go, you're doing a great job, we love it when you do this, but I hope there's a check in your spirit if you're going, but it's not of God, I'm not walking with him anymore, I'm just, he's gifted me and I'm, I'm putting on a show for everybody. 
And that's why I wanted to just read this last verse. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So if you're sitting here going, look, man, with the classes I'm taking and everything else, the Bible has become an, an academic subject for me and my heart is drying up. You would think, oh, you're going to be more spiritual if you're at seminary, if you serve on a staff somewhere. Oh, my word. The temptation is to dry up and to study this thing like just literature and figure things out and be a deep philosophical person who has forgotten he's been saved from his sins. And you'll be ineffective and unproductive. That's what Peter says. If you're not growing, if you're not walking humbly. So come to me, all you who are burdened. Have tests and classes and exams and professors who don't get you and all that kind of stuff. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Again, the picture of walking. Two oxen that would be yoked together, right? And you may have heard this, but I need this reminder constantly. You've got one who's done it a million times and he knows what's going on and the yoke goes on. Then they put a younger oxen next to him and they yoke them together because the old one knows the pace to walk. He's worked with this farmer a million times and he knows. He goes, this thing fits perfectly. I know how fast to walk. I know what to do. And then the young buck is going, now wait a minute, couldn't we do this a little faster? And maybe he starts to pull ahead. Well, one, that the ground starts to not be plowed in the right way. But then he's, now that yoke's pulling against him because he's trying to get ahead. He's not wanting to wait and to do what should be done. He hasn't discovered the pace yet. In the message it says, you know, discover the rhythms of grace. And so it's as though, and then maybe he pulls back. Wait a minute, I'm not so sure about this. How can we trust this? Whatever. So he maybe pulls back. And again, now there's a burden and it feels ill-fitting. But if he'll just walk with the experienced one, the one who knows how to do this, now the yoke is easy and the burden is light. It's still work, but it was the work he was designed for, purposed for. Now he can enjoy it because he's walking in the same rhythm as the one who has walked it a million times. Right? Jesus Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, through the joy set before him, endure the cross, right? Run the race with perseverance, yoked to him. And I love the thought of being yoked with Jesus, being with him, discovering this. The simplicity of life is to walk with Christ. I'm telling you been bombarded by what's the church going to do about this and this and we're behind on this and we should have done this and all. As, as you would any church there's 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 trouble but still jesus would say hey i've called you you walk with me you discover life you humble yourself actually what's freaking you out no this yoke it fits perfectly when you're yoked with me You'll learn from me. I'm gentle and humble in heart. The God of the universe is gentle and humble in heart. And sometimes we crank out ministers who aren't. Man, that's a sad reality. Let it not be us. Let's act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with our God.